Welcome to the It Is Better To Know podcast. This is Anne. I'm Valerie. And I'm Cecilia. This is a podcast where we use our expertise as pharmacists to break down relevant health topics and make them easier for you to understand. Now let's get started. You got me curious. Hello and welcome back to episode 46 of It Is Better To Know podcast. Today's topic is gestational diabetes. We're going to discuss the risk factors, how to reduce your risk, when should you start screening, which medication you should take and which you should avoid, how often should you be monitoring your blood sugar, and so much more. If you find today's episode helpful, please share it with your family and friends, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review so that more people can find us. So without further ado, my name is Anne. I'm Cecilia. And I'm Valerie. Hey, everyone. So, hey, last time we talked about intermittent fasting. Can you give us an update to see if you guys are still doing it? Or, uh, uh, or kinda... if we fell off the bandwagon? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah right after we finished the episode, we stopped. No, uh, no, I'm still doing it. It's uh, been really good. And actually, I think uh, a lot of people have actually been listening to our episode and think we've inspired them to do it. Right, Valerie? That's true. We have inspired people to jump onto our intermittent fasting bandwagon. So it's actually been pretty exciting generating some buzz from that. So um, that was really cool to see. I am still doing intermittent fasting, in particular, the time-restricted feeding format, uh, following the 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. window of eating. So it's I'm able to stick to it for the most part, I would say. But um, you know, a trend that I've actually been noticing is that my belly looks like it's getting a little bit bigger. But I think that's just personal issues in terms of me not being able to um, stay awake at nighttime. (laughs) Like after I eat my dinner, I'll, I'll probably... Where you'll most likely find me is on my bed. And uh, when that happens, uh, my week, my willpower seems to go downhill. So it's not uncommon for me to fall asleep. So I'm trying to get away from that. Haven't been really exercising as often. Me either. Um, Well, actually, no, that's not true. I, well, Aww. I'm still getting my three out of seven. That was my That's goal. That's really good. I don't know. And as usual, my scale has not been recovered, so I still do not know what my weight is. So, just going for the body the image, feel type, the, pants, the feel and of the, the feel pants, the clothes. You know, That's one of right. our coworkers actually quoted that to me the other day because she remembered <laughs> it from our podcast. So, look at us—we're really making a difference here. <laughs> We're making waves. Sounds, yeah, sounds like it. That's what about you, Anne? Right? And what about you? I think we we were trying to convince you to do it and and exercise. The exercise is out, but I I (laughs) but I was very you know inspired too, and we try. I mean, it's not like sometimes we have a little late snack, you know, when you're watching Netflix and you want something to chew on, and especially on the weekends, right? Oh um, yeah, I think it's, it's good tough. to have a. It's it's okay to have a cheat day here and there. When I'm when I'm out with my friends or with my family, I don't do. I try not to be so strict with myself because it's all about having fun, right? It's okay to have yeah. an off day once in a while. So how like would you say like once a week you a little bit more relaxed in terms of uh, uh, maybe not even maybe once every few weeks. It's usually if I'm having like yeah like a late dinner or something like that, then I won't go to the twelve to eight uh, time. But most of the time I'm pretty good with it. Okay, and like you so said, like you said, it's really good. Yeah, my timing is twelve to eight. But like you said, it's really good uh, because I don't eat as much um, empty calories. Like I don't eat, uh, I don't do the mindless snacking anymore when I'm watching TV. So I think that's mm. really good. I think mm. that makes is a that big something difference. you can imagine doing for a longer time frame. I think so. I think it's been really good. And some, uh, I have a little trick. Like instead of uh, instead of eating like chips or popcorn or whatever when I'm watching TV, I drink a warm beverage that has no calories. So that's usually tea. Uh-huh. Water. Mm-hmm. So you're still Good getting strategy. something. You're still enjoying yeah. something, but it has uh, way fewer calories or no calories. Have you tried I... putting milk in it? Or does that count as calories? 
It counts, yeah. But uh, what I've been doing actually is uh, I've switched to different types of milk. So you can do uh, almond milk, um, which is much less calories, or like macadamia milk or oat milk. Um, basically, like uh, any of those milks made with um, various nuts, they have much less calories. So, like for example, mm. I think a cup of like two percent milk is like over two hundred calories, and then uh, like a cup of like almond milk is like I don't know, like very little it's like probably 20 calories or so so it's it's very substantial exactly yeah and it's a little bit more watered down so you don't get that same richness of the like two percent or whole milk or whatever but you know you're saving a lot of calories so that really helps it's also more expensive too i guess inflation Uh, is everywhere you mean just milk in general? It is yeah my mom and I were actually talking about that other the other day that the price of milk has gone up yeah you noticed that it was like crazy yes. yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah it's like a staple but it's so expensive yeah yeah I was like I can't afford this anymore <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to string <laughs> okay and I don't I don't know if we want you to do intermittent fasting not completely cut out eating so <laughs> or drinking so well yeah. yeah I guess you guys keep us up to date um we- you know if you find any tricks or or anything that could help the listeners, then by all means. Or if uh, if someone wants to donate a few bucks so I can maybe purchase a new scale uh, so I can track my progress, that'd be nice too. So we're open to that as well. I just wanted to make a quick correction as well. I said 1 p.m. to 8 p.m., but it's actually 1 p.m. to oh, 9 p.m. Okay, window, so, so Valerie, I thought... I thought you were doing that on purpose yeah. because one of the tips that we gave was to <laughs> shorten your fasting window by one hour. And I was so impressed that you were using one of our own yeah. tips. <laughs> well, no, actually, now, technically my goal, let yeah. me just disappoint you even further because my Aww. goal is actually uh, truly, I would say, I'm just going to say that it's like nine hours is my fasting window, but I shorten it with <laughs> 1 p.m. Oh. to 9 p.m. for eight hours as my uh, my true target. So yeah, gotcha. so that's one of the tips that we said, right? So if you're yes. aiming for a certain um, period, uh, time period, actually go a little bit. Um, one hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah more hour. so that, yeah, exactly. So you give yourself that leeway when your real target is like one hour less than that. So yeah, I'm winking at you guys. I, I know you can't see, but I'm winking at all of you. No. listeners out there <laughs> but okay, i'm very I'm, impressed you guys did a good job <laughs> <laughs> okay that's you so wait so how 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 long has it been now three months for cecilia and three no months longer uh, i started oh, longer. at the end of, i started august 31st oh august oh, oh yeah. wow that's mm-hmm. a little bit longer than i remember cool yeah okay Fantastic. well let's see if you can keep it up all the way into august for a yeah, year for a year We'll do a one-year anniversary <laughs> podcast special on yeah, intermittent fasting. Sounds, <laughs> sounds good. Well, I guess let's get on with today's topic then. And keep in mind the information we are presenting today is based on the Diabetes Canada website. So let's start with defining what is gestational diabetes. All right. So gestational diabetes, so sometimes you might hear it, uh, it referred to as GDM for short, is the type of diabetes that develops during pregnancy in women who don't already have diabetes. So according to Diabetes Canada, between 3 to 20% of pregnant women actually develop gestational diabetes. That's quite a range, hey? 3 to 20%? Yeah. For sure. The percentage is dependent on your risk factors, though. So according to the Diabetes Canada Clinical Practice Guidelines, if you're over 35, or I should say, if you're 35 years of age or older, excuse me, and if you are from a high risk group, so that being African, Arab, Asian, Hispanic, Indigenous, or South Asian descent, if you are taking corticosteroid medication, which is a particular type of medication that's used in, uh, it's not something that patients would commonly be on unless you have some underlying condition um, already. And here's the thing too. So do you have a parent, brother or sister with type 2 diabetes? Did you have prediabetes or did you have gestational diabetes in your previous pregnancy? Have you given birth to a baby that weighed more than four kilograms? What about obesity? So we're talking about a body mass index greater than or equal to 30 uh, kilograms per meter squared hair, or do you have an underlying condition called polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS or 
acanthosis nigricans, which is a darkening of the patches of the skin. That's a big Those word. Those are all risk factors. Yeah, that's a big word. I can never say that. But um, I guess the acanthosis nigricans is more commonly in like Africans. People, um, it's, it's quite obvious. I think one of the patients showed me once. But um, that is quite a bevy of risk factors. And let's expand on those. One of the risk factors you mentioned, Valerie, is being pregnant over the age of 35. And apparently they used to call women who is having her first baby at 35 years of age, get this, a geriatric mother. Mother, mother, geriatric. not mother. <laughs> geriatric mother? Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's funny because I did hear this maybe like one or two years ago, I was quite taken aback by that. I was a little bit offended because you would think that geriatric, you know, refers to 65 years of age and above. So being 35 is still quite young. So I don't, I'm not very fond of this term. Me either. I actually heard it for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, mm. Some of our, um, our coworkers were actually mentioning this and they told me about this. And I was actually quite taken aback because uh, technically, like uh, my, my mom had me when she was uh, over 35. So I was like, oh, I'm a geriatric baby. So anyways, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like this term at all. And actually, um, when, I, when I was looking it up, um, I think this term was created... A, quite some time ago. So nowadays, you might not hear people refer to it as much. And right now, the more politically or accepted or more technical term is now advanced maternal age, which sounds a lot nicer. Yeah, that, that sounds a lot nicer. I mean, considering the number of 35 plus women having children is like higher than way in the past, right? Given the fact that, you know, a lot of women's now is more independent and career driven. Do you guys agree yeah. with that? Is that why so. we, we tend to have kids so so later in life? I think so. I think uh, right now, like uh, I know a lot of my my friends are having babies like in their late twenties or in their thirties. So I think it is uh, more of the norm to have um, you know having having children kind of push back further and further because a lot of people like in your 20s, you're kind of like, you know, just exploring, having fun, finding out what you exactly want in life. And then your 30s are kind of for, you know, getting uh, your career, um, you know, in place and, and uh, thinking about settling down and starting a family. So I think it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a, what, what would you call that, like more of a generational change where it, it is more mm. normal now to have uh, kids later in your, later in your life. It doesn't help with, you know, with COVID and the fact that you can't even socialize, making it harder to meet people and everything is like online, online yeah. nowadays with the, you know, that Tinder swindler. Have you guys seen that from Netflix? No, oh, but I was talking cool. about it the other day. I need to watch this. Yeah. I don't think you need to ask Valerie. She doesn't watch anything on Netflix, remember? <laughs> oh, no, I have been actually. <gasps> oh, no. yeah. What did you watch? Did you oh, see oh, this? No, no, no. Nothing, nothing crazy. I've just, I think essentially there, one was a chick flick in retrospect, oh, but it was a I very like sophisticated chick flicks. flicks. It's called the Guernseys and Potato Peel Pie Society. I actually quite liked it. I thought it was such a lovely oh, movie. So, I've never yeah, heard of this. But yeah, I've just been watching a string of like other movies like The Pianist and um, The Dig. It's another sort of a slice of life one that talks about... Um, the one of the biggest architectural finds of all time uh, that took place in England. I'm not going to give it away, but um, yeah. I'm usually watching these when I am on the elliptical or exercising. Oh, and then good. if it's really good, then I'll treat myself and I'll just finish the yeah. whole thing there. So I just yeah, have but to I say, have heard of. Yeah, I just have to say, Valerie and Anne, you guys have very different tastes in what you watch. Just uh, <laughs> I watch what's trending on Netflix. <laughs> I, I know, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> And Valerie, I don't know like where she's buying all the show. Yeah, like she's watching, right? She's watching educational, deep, meaningful shows. So I think I'm in the middle of you guys, which is good. I'm like watching things that my husband would be like, um, <laughs> I yeah. feel stupid after I finish watching this. So speaking of that, have you seen Love is Blind, the newest uh, season? Oh, yes, of course. Okay, so I thought so. <laughs> Okay. I like all this dating reality show, like inventing Anna, and um, that's yeah, a dating reality blind. show. 
No, it's like I just want to learn what people are thinking oh, when they're scamming okay. people, and yeah. Oh, okay. So why are you planning on scamming people? No, it's it's preventing <laughs> you from being scammed, oh, okay. right? If you know, oh, okay, okay, like, gotcha. If you know how you know people, yeah. Especially, you should watch the the Tinder swindler is kind of preventing you from getting scammed. Like I don't know how. Like you should see how like those girls are like giving him like hundreds of thousands of dollars, getting loans and credit card debt. Oh, uh, this one guy they met on 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 Tinder is crazy. I, yeah, I wouldn't do that, but I will it's watch so it. Sounds like a crazy covert narcissist. But anyways, yeah. getting back on track, since we are talking about <laughs> movies, like there's actually quite a few celebrities that are in their late 30s or even their 40s that, you know, started to have babies quite uh, in their quite advanced older, maternal yeah. age, right? So Michelle Williams, for example, she was about 40 when she gave birth to her second child. Uh, Cameron Diaz, she announced the birth of her daughter at age 47. That's amazing. About oh, wow. Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, um, the beautiful wife of uh, George Clooney, very well accomplished, like lawyer. She's a lawyer, right? I think. Yeah. Um, she she is, had yeah. twins when she was 39. Um, and Meghan Markle, Merkel, sorry, mm-hmm. excuse me, used to be known formerly as a Duchess of Sussex, became a mother for the first time at 37. So, that actually surprised me. I thought she was kind of younger than that, but she, she looks really good for her age, I think. Not to say yeah, that she does, does, but like she looks really good for for thirty seven. I think. Mm-hmm. No, exactly, and I mean, I guess there's complications if you have children so, like, as the when you're older, right? So that's why all the celebrities are also promoting like uh, freezing your eggs and all that stuff too. So I think that could be a, an episode we can consider in the future about oh yeah for sure you know, fertility and freezing your eggs. Mm-hmm. I would be very interested in that. Yes. Same here. I mean, I guess what we're trying to say is that um, based on the risk factor you mentioned, all three of us are at risk of gestational diabetes. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm Asian. Um, Cecilia is Asian. <laughs> the last time I checked. Yep. Um, yeah, so you're not, actually not quite 35 yet, but we're getting there probably by the time oh, no, we actually no, no. have a baby. Well, I don't know what you guys are talking yeah. about. This isn't a that age isn't applied <laughs> to me. 22, um, right? Last I oh, heard, right. I thought we were all 21, 22. So yeah, that's 21 right. we were yeah. last year, so um, yeah, but you know, turning 22 for, soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, finally, 22. Yeah. I do have a parent with uh, type 2 diabetes, so that does uh, uh, put mm. me at an increased risk. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for the risk factor. So definitely not age. Um, we're, we are Asian. And then, yeah, I have family history. So that's We kind of eat a lot of rice because oh. that's like low glycemic index. No, sorry, high glycemic index, high. right? Yeah, right? Wait. Food? So uh, Yeah. Uh, do you guys eat a lot of rice? <laughs> As a diabetes expert? I do, yeah. I mean, like we try to mix a mixture of white and brown rice or even oh, switch good. it up oh, yeah. with basmati rice. Yeah. Um, mm, but you yummy. know, white rice is always the cheapest mm-hmm. and it's, it's the taste is better than brown rice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a acquired taste though. I've grown to really like brown rice. Oh, you Oh, you switched to brown rice already. Oh, good job. Well, I don't. I try not to eat so much rice, actually. But um, mm. yeah, it's it's a it's it's very delicious, but it's very easy to eat a lot. Yes, Definitely. I eat a lot. Well, I don't eat like that much, but I eat more than I think. Like you whatever do, meal, Cecilia. <laughs> oh, but um, I guess you know, being Asians and all, rice is a pretty staple with pretty much whatever meal and. In the previous episode, we discussed that if your father or mother has type 2 diabetes, um, the risk of having a child with diabetes is 12 to 14% respectively. And if both parents have type 2 diabetes, then the risk becoming 28% um, that you will get diabetes in your lifetime. So in other words, your family history of diabetes elevates your risk of getting diabetes. And for women, also gestational diabetes, more so if it is later in life. Yikes. So that's about, you know, if both of your parents have diabetes, type 2 diabetes in particular, then that's almost double the risk of your lifetime chance of developing diabetes. 
Well, also keep in mind that up to two thirds of women who have gestational diabetes in one pregnancy will have it again in a subsequent pregnancy. Wow. Mm. That's, yeah, that's kind of staggering. But I, I was just going through the list of uh, risk factors there, and it, it seems to me that the only risk factor that we could change is body weight. So I, I found an article uh, which is uh, titled Maternal Obesity and Risks of Gestational Diabetes Mellitus. And they said that based on uh, meta-analyses of the literature, they estimate that the risk of developing gestational diabetes is about two to four times higher amongst the overweight and obese, respectively, completely uh, compared with um, normal weight pregnant women. So I uh, just wanted to reiterate, um, you know, overweight is defined by BMI, which is your body mass index, and that's 25 kilograms per meter squared or more. And obesity is defined as a body mass index greater than or equal to 30. And in regarding to body mass index, it is a measure of the body fat based on your height and weight of a, a person. So BMI provides a reasonable of a measure of a body fat is an easy way to measure obesity, but it's not always accurate. Um, in cases like athletes who weigh more because of muscle mass and older people who have lost a lot of height as they get older. Yeah, so just going back to my pipe, so I might have a high BMI because um, I'm on oh, muscle. Yes. So um, that would not be an accurate reflection of where I truly am in terms of, um, you know, my obesity or overweight status. Uh, I hope listeners, if you're listening or tuning in for the first time, I'm actually just joking. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. not. A I, see those, I see those guns. They, they, well, <laughs> anyway, to be taken lately. <laughs> yes, that part, that part is true. Everything else I said is... Um, um, cow fodder. But anyways, that is a good point, Anne, what you brought up about, um, you know, muscle, like taking everything into context, right? So the BMI does not measure fat directly. Sometimes it's not a reliable metric of healthy weight. But for the majority of us, weight reduction does decrease the risk of diabetes and also decreases the risk of getting gestational diabetes. So what is gestational diabetes? And why is being pregnant increases your risk then? Well, so diabetes is a metabolic disease and gestational diabetes is a type of diabetes that's due to changing hormone levels, which leads to your body not being able to produce enough insulin to handle the effects of a growing baby. So if your body cannot produce enough insulin, then the amount of sugar in your blood will rise. That's why it's important to screen all pregnant women who don't already have diabetes. So generally, the recommendation is to screen for gestational diabetes between 24 to 28 weeks of pregnancy. So although screening is recommended between that time period for 20 between 24 to 28 weeks uh, along your pregnancy, if you have some of those risk factors that we talked about for GDM, such as a history of gest gestational diabetes in a previous pregnancy, the obesity, a strong family history of diabetes, or that polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, then it is actually recommended that early screening, and we're talking here about less than 20 weeks um, or 20 weeks or less with an A1C is highly recommended. Yeah, and if the result's negative for diabetes, then the woman should actually be rescreened again between 24 to 28 weeks of gestation. Yep, that's correct. And we won't go over the, the fine details, but ideally you don't want to see uh, hemoglobin A1C more than 6.5%. Um, speaking of A1C, I have a lot of patients asking what it means. So may as well take this time to define it. A1C is a blood test that represents the average blood glucose level over the previous two or three months. Um, A1C is affected by conditions that alter the lifespan of your red blood cells. And pregnancy is one of those. So when they screen between the recommended 24 to 28 weeks of pregnancy, A1C is not recommended because at this stage, it is not a reliable marker to identify women who are at risk of developing diabetes. 
That's right. So the hemoglobin A1C could provide false reassurance, but uh, the recommendations from the the guidelines set out by um, Canada recommends using a glucose challenge test. And basically this involves a the consumption of a very, very sweet liquid. And then that is followed by a blood test to see how your body is actually using that sugar. So if the test shows that you have a lot of sugar or a lot of blood glucose, um, so if you have a lot of sugar that's showing up in your blood, then that could be an indication that you have gestational diabetes. And it's important to screen and treat diabetes early because the longer that you wait and the longer that you get treat longer that you wait for getting treatment, obviously that increases the risk and complications. And if you don't get a proper diagnosis in time, that could result in unhealthy pregnancies and unhealthy babies. One of the main complications with high blood sugar levels is the increase in the risk of miscarriage and birth defects. So it makes sense that high blood glucose levels in the mother leads to high blood glucose levels in the developing baby because the mother's blood does cross that placenta to provide energy for the baby. That's a good point. So in response to the high blood glucose levels, the baby subsequently will also be making more insulin. And since insulin stimulates fetal growth, as a result, high blood glucose levels in the mother can cause the baby size and weight to be larger than average. And bigger baby, as we know, can increase the risk of complications during delivery for the mother. You might be wondering, how big are we talking about when we're saying larger than average babies? Well, when we're talking about gestational diabetes, when the baby grows too large, we're talking about weighing more than nine pounds or 4.1 kilograms. You can imagine then it can increase the risk of injury to the mother or the baby during delivery. And just a tidbit of information, a newborn who is much larger than average They have a special term. They're actually called fetal macrosomia. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's more than nine pounds. That's definitely huge. So that's why it's important, especially in women with pre-existing type 1 or type 2 diabetes, to discuss pregnancy plans with their doctors. So it's really important to review their blood glucose targets, the optimal weight, and if there's a a need for weight loss. And it's also important to, um, you know, evaluate and treat any medical complications related to diabetes. So we, we've kind of touched on some of these in the past, but uh, diabetes can have a lot of consequences. So some of them might be diabetes-related eye disease or thyroid disease or high blood pressure. And all women with type 1 or type 2 diabetes should actually have a dilated eye exam by an ophthalmologist or optometrist before pregnancy and also during the first trimester. So that's the first three months of pregnancy. And women with diabetes are also more prone to developing pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, so that's known as preeclampsia. And women with pre-existing diabetes are actually asked to take low-dose aspirin, so that's 81 milligrams once a day, starting at the beginning of the second trimester, uh, which is by 16 weeks of gestation, so to decrease the risk of this happening. I feel like complications related to Pregnancy in general could be a whole entire podcast episode on its own, and especially preeclampsia, if it's uncontrolled, then this is a fairly common reason for why patients need to be, pregnant women need to be um, shipped off to the to the surgical room right away um, in, in cases of um, emergency. If they can't get that under control, the baby has to come out prematurely. So um Very important to try to control this and be a little bit upstream and proactive about our health, um, doing what we can to prevent gestational diabetes. And, you know, since we are all pharmacists here, why don't we talk a little bit about the role of the pharmacist in, in this gestational diabetes paradigm? So in particular, could we explore why it might be important to schedule a medication review with your pharmacist? Definitely. I think that's a pretty good reminder. Um, You definitely want to consult and review a medication safety with your pharmacist, especially, you know, like Cecilia mentioned, if you have high blood pressures and high cholesterol, and if you're currently taking medication, that definitely should be reviewed to see if it's safe for you um, to be on. 
Definitely. is the safety piece, right? Because um, some medications, they have different potential for causing birth defects. So for example, if you are taking some blood pressure medication or some cholesterol medications, for example, there's a class of medications called ACE inhibitors or ARBs for blood pressure or a statin medication for cholesterol, for example. Um, talk to your pharmacist because they could actually recommend an alternative, safer medication to use as a substitute while you are pregnant. Um, so that's why it's very, very, very important that you be mindful of um, reviewing with your pharmacist what medications you're actually on, just so that they could do a clean sweep of a review for you and make sure that uh, we're not putting the patient, um, we're not putting the developing fetus in in harm's way. Uh, so you might be taking some drugs that are not safe for the fetus and they should be discontinued or at least a substitution found while you are actually pregnant. And I mean, while we're on the medication, um, you know, if you consider getting pregnant or you are you already pregnant, then it's recommended that um, you should consider taking folic acid amount of about 1.0 milligram, especially if you have diabetes um, on a daily basis. And this is a typical component of a prenatal multivitamin. Now, the most question I often get asked is when to start and when to stop. So like I mentioned, ideally, you want to start um, you know, taking prenatal or at least folic acid three months before pregnancy if possible. Um, but if not, suddenly during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, when the baby's development is at the most critical point, um, just to prevent um, congenital abnormalities and prenatal multivitamins, you know, it you don't have to stop the moment you give birth. Um, it can continue for at least three months after you have given birth or as long as you continue to breastfeed. So that could be, you know, six months to a year later, if that's what you choose. That's a really good tip. So now that we've uh, talked about, um, you know, the uh, medications parts, let's, let's move on to treatment options. So, you know, let's say, unfortunately, you do get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Now what? So the first line therapy consists of diet and physical activity. So to help uh, you achieve the changes you should make in your diet, you should actually meet with a dietitian or a certified diabetic educator to help you receive your individualized food plan. And I just wanted to mention exercise as well, because, you know, it might not necessarily be a part of gestational diabetes treatment, but it would help to control the blood sugar levels. And most women who don't have medical or pregnancy-related complications are actually able to exercise at least to a moderate amount throughout their pregnancy. Just make sure you check with your doctor if, if uh, exercise is recommended. And in addition to diet and exercise, um, we also recommend that you monitor your blood glucose frequently during um, pregnancy. And the testing should be done before and after each meal. Initially, most women should check their blood glucose level four times per day. So before eating in the morning, um, your blood glucose level, you want to see less than 5.3 millimole per liter. And then after breakfast, after lunch, and after dinner, and you can either measure it, you know, one hour after you finish eating or two hours later. If you are testing it one hour post-meal, you want to see it less than 7.8 millimole per liter. And if you're testing two hours after a meal, then the number you want to see should be less than 6.7 millimole per liter. Okay. And when, if your sugar levels are coming back and they're higher than what the answer the targets would be, it might be time to discuss with your doctor or your pharmacist uh, in regarding what kind of drug therapies are available and see what's, uh, what's most appropriate for you. Well, I wanted to also just put a Another plug out there for pharmacists that when Cecilia, you were mentioning about certified diabetes educator, well, you might want to check with your friendly neighborhood pharmacist because oftentimes pharmacists take these uh, special upgraded um, certifications for um, to advance their learning in a particular area. So, for example, maybe an asthma um Chances are they probably have their injection certification, but diabetes as well. So certified diabetes educator is uh, certainly something that is um, 
not uncommon to see in the community uh, setting. So if you're looking for someone closer to home, if uh, access to a dietitian is not something that you can easily get, or there is a wait timer, um, so on and so forth, then you might want to just scope out your your pharmacist in your neighborhood. They might uh, have or know someone um, really close nearby who is uh, has that special certification. But anyhow, uh, typically, there are two choices to manage type 2 diabetes during pregnancy. So we're talking about insulin or oral diabetes medication. And in particular, for oral medications, metformin can be used. And keep in mind that especially during the last third of your pregnancy, so that's approximately uh, at the 26 to 40 week mark of your pregnancy, because the body becomes resistant to insulin as the pregnancy progresses, the majority of pregnant ladies will need to be switched to insulin therapy because their um, metformin can't control their sugar levels and it's not as quick in compared to the insulin in bringing down those sugar levels and controlling them in the range that Anne had mentioned earlier. You know... Any times when it comes to needle, I find that it is easier to give than to receive. Hundred percent, I would agree with that. Are you afraid of needles? Uh, I don't love them, but I'm not super afraid. Like I'll I'll get it done if uh, that's what I need to do. Interestingly, in pharmacy school, um, when we went through our diabetes module. They gave you oh, the yeah. option. Of, we had to test, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. You had to sort of put yourself in the um, in the mind of the patient and in the experience of the patient to actually poke yourself with um, these lancets to actually test your blood sugar. So I remember back in the day when I poked myself for the first time, I really had to hold that lancing device at my fingertip and psych myself up. It's actually fairly scary. So uh, people go through this on a daily basis. So, um, but with anything, practice makes comfort. I'm not going to (laughs) say practice makes perfect. um, Although I guess in this case it would, Um, but yeah, like, mm, Luckily, I'm able. Although I am not one of those people who can look at someone giving me an injection or drawing blood out, I don't know how some people can do it. Yeah, I don't like to look either. I respect it. I I wouldn't mind looking at the needle, but like drawing blood, I think that's so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But would you able to carry the assignment for that whole week? I believe. Um, Yeah, it was actually very interesting. I remember. I remember, like one day, I was eating more and then my sugars were actually higher than normal and I was like oh, wow this is so cool it works. yeah yeah it, it works yeah <laughs> it's not good mm-hmm. I should uh not eat that much yeah anyways no it was interesting it really did put you in the perspective of what it feels like to to have to be able to test that many times but I mean the good thing is nowadays the technology has improved quite a bit. So the length of the needle is so much smaller now. I think the smallest right now we can say is four millimeter, which is really quite fine. Hey, do oh, you guys you're talking hear... about to inject? You're talking huh? about to like inject the insulin, it's only four millimeters? Long? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it like doesn't the matter. Needles. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's holy smokes. Wow. Amazing. Quite fine, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear a pickup line? I saw this uh, meme. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Go for it. Okay. So, <laughs> hey, girl. I like my girls like I like my needles. Super fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, goodness. I wonder if that ever works. Like, let me... If there's any pharmacist who got uh, who got that line uh, given by a patient, let let us know. Leave us a, a comment. Oh, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say the opposite. I thought you were gonna say like any pharmacist who used that line. I was like, no, and the they they probably be fine for like misconduct, but <laughs> unprofessional behavior. So I'm glad you said it was the other way around. Although I guess that could yeah, be harassment. No. Yeah. Uh, but um. I mean, wearing masks nowadays, right? So it's hot for people to see your face to even hit on you nowadays. 
actually you know what the other day um this was quite a while ago this is probably like more than half a year ago I remember I was at the mall and then um I, I was close enough to hear one of the security guards a female security guard she actually got hit on by a customer uh and they were oh. both wearing masks so I think people can still tell you know like for the most part what you kind of look like because I, I I don't remember what he said but it was basically like oh you know you're really pretty or something like that or, and then they just started chatting I was like oh my god this still happens even in the COVID area era it just makes me when people wear a mask right and then when they speak and the voice is completely different and I have a different you know vision of them especially I've never seen them before and then when they taking off the mask it's like whoa! I didn't expect I, that. I do that too. Well, now it's like amazing because even like at work, um, you know, if you're like going on a break together and then someone takes off their mask and you've never seen them without a mask for the first time, it's it's kind of uh, amazing. And I try not to stare, but I'm like, oh my god, that's what you look like. And then sometimes it can be totally different from what you uh, kind imagine, of imagine right? in your head. Not like Weird. not necessarily in a bad or good way, but like it's just different. And you're like, oh, yeah. that's what you look like. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Did you feel that too, Valerie? Um, <laughs> like, uh, it's never stopped to amaze me. It's like, oh, wow. It's right? like so different yeah. than what you visualize. Exactly. I, I mean, I guess I haven't met like that many new people in, in our in our department that I'm so... And I'm not really in settings where I would see them with their mask off unless I'm in the cafeteria on my mm. lunch break or something. So I don't think I'm quite as amazed as uh, Cecilia, but I do understand the the allure and the 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 fun factor of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I guess back to insulin needles. If you are um, opting to use insulin or if insulin is recommended, uh, definitely don't be afraid. You will be trained on where and how to do the injection. Typically, the abdomen is the preferred site for insulin injections during pregnancy because the absorption of the medication is much better in that area. You can inject insulin any place in the abdomen where you can pinch an inch of your belly fat and it could be you know any stage of a pregnancy and even in late pregnancy um, it is still safe to do the injection uh, in the abdomen yeah that's that's funny because i remember counseling a patient recently on on an injection and then i was like oh they usually give it in the abdomen where you have like you know some some fatty um uh area and he's like oh don't worry i have lots of fatty area in there <laughs> that, that, that made me laugh and i was like oh yeah me, me too don't worry <laughs> uh, yeah anyways <laughs> um but yes so moving on um so the good news is that after delivery, a lot of women with gestational diabetes actually do have normal blood sugar levels and they don't require any further treatment with insulin. But I think this is important as well because, um, you know, I was kind of curious on how how many, you know, like if, if people who have gestational diabetes go on to develop diabetes later. And this is a question that uh, Valerie actually had. So, so we were trying to look this up. So uh, it is still important to get tested for diabetes uh, regularly after your baby is born. Um, so uh, CDC actually recommends uh, testing six to 12 weeks after your baby is born, and then one every one to three years. So for most Women with gestational diabetes, it does go away after delivery. The diabetes, not the baby. The baby is stuck with you <laughs> for eighteen I hope years. The baby doesn't go yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so you know, even if the diabetes does go away after the baby is born, there is still a risk of uh, women who had gestational diabetes. There is still a risk of them developing type two diabetes later. So uh, the statistic that CDC gave was about half of all women who had gestational diabetes. Uh, develop type 2 diabetes later. So that's why it's important, um, like we talked about, for women who have had gestational diabetes to to continue to exercise, make sure you eat a healthy diet um, to prevent um, or delay getting type 2 diabetes. Definitely. But uh, speaking of good news, um, infants under 2 now, well, under 2 in general, they can travel free on a plane. And the government of Canada... I just saw in the news, they are uh, saying that they no longer require pre-arrival COVID PCR tests for fully vaccinated travelers. So that's uh-huh. exciting. And I know a I lot of people about that yet. Uh, uh, you know, cons- remember how we were saying how if you go to the States, you can go to like, um, you know, 
Walgreens or CVS and all that stuff. Yeah. So now, you know, the, you know, what's, what's like, what's that test? Rapid testing is Mm -hmm. like cheaper and is fast. Yeah. So a lot of people are looking to books, you know, the future travel in the next um, few months or in the summer here. Are you guys planning to travel anytime soon with this news? I don't have any imminent plans, so we'll see what happens. But I'm not really in a rush to get back out there and travel internationally anyways. I still kind of want to be a little bit more cautious and see how things are. What about you guys? For myself, personally, I don't have plans to go out of Canada either because of the COVID uh, situation still. I still feel a little bit weary about it. I actually heard on the radio today, too, that there are some very popular vacation uh, countries where a lot of people pour in for vacation, um, like Costa Rica and like Belize and these all these other great countries where they're actually requiring that travelers coming into their countries have um, travel insurance, probably because like just in case something happens with COVID, right? Um, so that's interesting. But no, I don't have any plans um, as of yet. But Anne, I know, is a very popular, uh, very... Um, someone who avid travel, yes, an avid traveler. So, do you have any plans? No, not quite. My husband doesn't have any times off, so it's not fun traveling on your own. Um, fair. I mean, the the good thing is with insurance. I guess most of the credit card have, you know, some sort of insurance coverage for you. I believe, right? Like you want to double check to a month at most. Mm -hmm. Um, but anything beyond that, I mean, if you order, for example, the the timing of how long they will cover might be, um, might be a, there might be a, a restrictions on there, um, but otherwise, I think most young people, if you have a credit card, you might be able to opt out of the insurance because um, most credit card do have that benefit. So check with your in, um, credit card first before you buy additional benefit to save yourself some money. Um, but I mean, the best things about travel is that. Um, I used to have this American Express credit card and <laughs> I remember you, like I remember you lounge. talking about that. But you're <laughs> so like sad. Lounge. No, you're so sad because you got like the lounge access and then COVID happened and then you couldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a waste of money. But um, you know, if you <laughs> if you have, you know, if you plan to travel lots and if you have a good household income, definitely keep that in mind, especially the first year is free. If you spend a certain amount of uh, money, then you can totally get it reimbursed back. So, mm. you know, all those lounges, free food. Take advantage of it if you can. Free food, free shower in some places. And then you have the peace and quiet. You could, you know, use a plug-in. The chair is more comfortable. It's more quiet. It makes your travel experience, like, amazing. It's like you walk out the lounge and you'd be like, oh, it was so fast. And then all of a sudden, you you know, usually sometimes you you guys get to the airport early and just wait, you know, two hours. It feels like a drag, yeah. right? You wait at those yeah. areas. Yeah. But this is amazing. Like, so if you ever, um, you know, use those lounge, let me know how it goes. Okay. All right. I feel like you're probably <laughs> going to be ahead of the game before, before either of us are. So, um, but thanks so for the tips. We'll keep that in mind. All right, so let's wrap this up, uh, you know, on that positive and happy note. So uh, just overall, the message that we want to get across is that having gestational diabetes does increase your risk of developing type 2 diabetes later in life. So remember, it's important that you continue to maintain a healthy diet and continue to exercise like we always tell you. And as far as it goes, of course, taking care of the baby is going to involve exercise on its own. But it is important to remember that if you decrease or reduce your weight, that will reduce your risk of gestational diabetes in the next pregnancy and possibly from delaying or preventing you from developing type 2 diabetes down the road. And also, Should you be screened for type 2 diabetes after your pregnancy if you had gestational diabetes? The answer is absolutely yes. So timing for that is within six weeks to six months of giving birth before planning another pregnancy and then every one to three years 
Um, so the frequency sort of depends on how your risk factors are. And if you have a history of gestational diabetes, have testing for type 2 diabetes at least every three years after your initial post-pregnancy test. Great point. Um, I think we got everything covered. Anything else you guys want to add before we close? Well, as always, make sure you follow us on uh, our social media. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, hopefully you have. Uh, you'll notice that for Valentine's Day, we had a very nice um, Valentine's Day themed logo. And now we've moved on to another new logo. So it's, it's very pretty, very calming. Valerie worked very hard on it. And it really, um, you know, showcases a lot of the uh, topics and that we want to discuss. So uh, hopefully you guys can check that out and uh, follow us on social media. So Facebook uh, and um, Instagram at it is better to know and Twitter at better to know pod. And uh, hopefully, you know, if you found these episodes uh, useful and informative, make sure you tell all of your friends and your family. Uh, we have a lot of useful information that we think would benefit a lot of people. So make sure you spread the word. Word of mouth. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for working on that logo, Valerie. It's amazing. Oh, thank it's you. So I'm pretty. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed I love it. it. And one more thing I just wanted to also add. Um, so we we love interacting with our listeners. And so if you have a topic of interest you want us to explore, then definitely send us a direct message. We can start that conversation there. Um, we already have a bunch of uh, fun and interesting topics planned ahead for you. So I'm not going to spill the beans on that because I want to keep you guys on your toes. But definitely, if you want us to explore something for you, then reach out to us. And we will consider that topic for a future episode. For sure. Well, that's all for now. Until next time, stay safe and healthy. Bye for now. Bye, BTK Army. We know there are a lot of podcasts to choose from, and we want to thank you for listening. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with your family and friends and follow us on Instagram at It Is Better To Know. Like always, we appreciate the likes and comments. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should not be taken as medical advice. As every individual is unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Curious Music is performed by Bonsai Memo, written by Andrew Southwell and Jimmy Harry. You got me curious.